Hello, I'm Oliver Colling, and this is my 70s TV childhood. Hello again, and a very warm welcome back to my 70s TV childhood. It's great to be with you again, and apologies for the recent delays in production. As an amateur podcaster, life sometimes gets in the way. So if you miss me, then thank you. And if you're listening as part of a catch-up on our episodes to date, then you won't know what I'm talking about. But thank you all the same for being here and for listening. If you haven't listened before, here's a very brief intro. As the title suggests... We are all about growing up as a child in the 1970s, and in this case, 1970s Britain. We're also a place where we remember the central role that TV had in our lives back then. Even though we only had three channels, some of us were watching in black and white, and the fact that many people didn't own their own TVs because they rented them from one of the many TV rental companies. Television was a huge force for bringing people together in 70s Britain. While things were a bit grim for the UK. We spent our time, us and our parents, enjoying what television we had. And it was a common factor in popular life and culture, in a way that I don't think it ever has been, either before or since. So that's what we're about. And we're also about giving you a place to share your memories and thoughts. As always, thank you to those of you who've been in touch with your thoughts, many and varied as usual, and thankfully, mostly complimentary. If you'd like to share your thoughts, you could do so via our blog at www.my70stvchildhood.com, tweet at 70stvchildhood, visit our Facebook page at my70stvchildhood, or you could email me directly, oliver at my70stvchildhood.com. Now, a couple of listeners have been in touch and accused me of being far too biased towards the BBC in my reminiscences. It is true that many BBC shows have featured in our previous episodes, but I think I've also featured quite a few ITV shows too, such as Pipkins in our episode Comic Death and Pipkins, the horsey dramas Black Beauty and Follyfoot in our episode Blow Blow the Lightning Tree, and also Magpie when I spoke to listener James in our Swap Shop or Tiswas show. Magpie was quite, a, although it was quite a rock tune. Um, yeah. And uh, I'd, again, just reminding myself about it, I was just quickly scooting onto Wikipedia, and I didn't realise it was the Spencer Davis group who who did it. Uh, oh, it was quite it, funky. Yeah. yeah, it was really yeah. quite funky. Um, yeah, one for uh, sorrow, two for joy, three yeah. for a girl, four for a boy. With a bit of heavy guitar in there as well. Yeah, that sort of kicked it off. And, and you're right, they. I always sort of, you know, I guess like you, for me, Blue Peter was uh, Peter, the Peter Herb, John Noakes, Lizzie Judd sort of era was really – what I really remember about it, and um, and it was it was a bit worthy. They had some celebrities on, and they they did the Blue Peter badges, which were all very nice. I have to say, I, I do have fond memories of John Noakes and Shep the Dog, and yeah, you know, and he went was always doing some crazy things or getting stuck up a pole or 
falling or something. Yeah, again, it was like a it was like a guilty pleasure turning over to Magpie, which was they always sort of a bit trendy clothes and the big hair and um, yeah, yeah, it was it was a slightly different different more groovy world. Yeah, because I remember they had I don't know if he was on it all the time. They had uh, Tommy Boyd came onto it as well. I don't he don't was, remember him. He was sort of he instead of Mick Robertson had the dark curly hair. He had light curly hair, sort of blonde curly hair. All oh, right. Yeah, so it was all it was all a bit more a bit more wild, a bit more um, daring. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. They also had, um, I'm trying to remember the other presenters. So Susan Strengths was on it, I remember. And then the oh God, lovely the lovely Jenny Hadley, who was former Bond yes. girl, I think. Yes. Again, yeah, I remember like, her. Yeah, they're a little bit more sort of glamorous. That's, than, uh, that's exactly it. That's exactly it, James. Glamour. Not much glamour about Blue Peter. No. Steady. Nice and steady. You're building your sort of building your models or something, whereas they were all a bit rock and roll a little bit on uh, on Magpie. Do you know? Even now, I still feel a bit guilty for pretending to some people that I preferred Magpie to Blue Peter. You know, even small children try and play to a certain image, and I suspect Tommy Boyd, Mick Robinson, and Jenny Handley, whatever they're doing now, are still the coolest pensioners in town. Anyway. I want to do something to appease those listeners who think I'm biased against ITV or the commercial programme, as people used to call it. In fact, I remember one of my friends at primary school, his his dad used to often say, we only ever watch the BBC and never turn over to the commercial channel as if it was some kind of badge of pride. I also couldn't really understand why anyone wouldn't watch the brilliant adverts that used to be on when I was a child. So... ITV had a huge range of excellent children's TV programming, particularly some of the dramas they produced, which were, and still are, absolutely terrifying. I haven't seen Children of the Stones for about 40 years, but I still shudder to remember the whole creepiness of the same show. Similarly, The Georgian House introduced me at a reasonably early age to the problems of racism in society, as it brought an 18th century slave boy, played by Brinsley Ford, formerly of the Double Deckers, later to be of Aswad, into the 20th century. All great shows and worthy of episodes themselves, I think. But today I'm going to focus on a pair of animators who began their career together in children's TV in the early 70s. seaside, there's a town called Haythornthwaite. It's a busy town, full of busy streets, busy people, and busy shops. Except for one shop, which never seemed particularly busy, perhaps because it was in a side street, away from the main busyness. But it was a good shop to go into if you had time because it sold interesting things. It was owned by a lady who was called by anyone privileged enough to know her well, Aunt Mill. Now, Aunt Mill had a nephew called Sam. Now, Sam was just like other boys except for one thing. He had a magic ball which could take him to all sorts of places and bring him back again. The magic ball 
or Sam and his magic ball, as I've always thought it was called until I just did a little bit of research, was one of the first productions put together by Brian Cosgrave and Mark Hall, and it aired for the first time in 1971. It was set in the small seaside town referred to in the introduction, and the stories were narrated by Eric Thompson of Magic Roundabout fame. I think it must have been a very small world in children's television in the 1970s, because the same names keep cropping up in our reminiscences over and over again. Now, the main character was Sam, as in most of the cartoons of the time, a little boy, who spent time in his aunt's antique shop, which never seemed to have any customers or sell anything, but provided objects with which Sam could have adventures via his magic ball. All right, stop sniggering. Sam's magic ball used to glow and emit strange music when an adventure was about to start. Now, I can't remember for the life of me how Sam used to activate his magic ball. Oh, look, I said already, no sniggering, please. But it was it was a bit like a cross between the opening sequence of Joe 90 and a typical episode of Crystal Tips and Alistair. The plots were always pretty similar and involved Sam in a different situation, um, inspired by one of the, the items in the antique shop, like being a caveman or a knight in shining armour sorting out a particular problem or misunderstanding, and then being transported by his ball back to the antique shop. Hang on, this sounds rather familiar, doesn't it? Isn't this a very similar premise to Mr Ben, with just a few subtle changes? Hmm. I'll leave you to make up your own minds on that one. But one thing I do remember, though, is at the end of every episode, once young Sam had returned from his adventures, his aunt would say, And where have you been, young man? To which the answer was always, Oh, nowhere much. The Magic Ball was Cosgrove and Hall's first animated kids' TV show, made by their first production company, Stop Frame Animations. The two men met at Manchester College of Art and Design as students and set up their business in 1969. Their first projects included public information films and adverts for things like the TV Times. But the Magic Ball, allegedly filmed in a garden shed, was their first mainstream series. The company also produced animated opening sequences for other children's programmes, such as this one, which began in 1972. Well, more about Geoffrey George, Bungle and Zippy in a future episode, I suspect. But the opening sequences to Rainbow were iconic, if a little bit psychedelic, given all the colours. I've just had a thought, actually. Does anyone remember the original Bungle in Rainbow? Whilst in most of the show's history, Bungle was this sort of cuddly, cute and rather naively stupid, the original Bungle looked like a character from a horror film and was really quite scary. I think many children had nightmares about the zombie-eyed, slightly moth-eaten giant bear until he was replaced by the cuter version that we all know and love. Anyway, after Rainbow, Cosgrove and Hall went on to do more animated series, including this adaptation of Noddy in 1975.
That could only be a mid-70s theme tune. Now, I know many listeners probably have fond memories of Noddy from their childhoods, but, and perhaps a little controversially, I was never a Noddy fan. I confess that I found him rather sinister, and all the stuff with Big Ears, Mr Plod and so on left me rather cold. My feelings were confirmed when, in my teens, I found out that Enid Blyton was a fascist sympathiser, So I think uh, that reasonably ties in with my dislike of Noddy. Apologies to my wife, if she's listening, who actually loves the little man. Oh, and uh, why do elephants in Africa have big ears? Answer to the usual address, please. Unfortunately, Noddy was the last series to be produced by Stockframe Animations, which ceased trading in 1975, but all was not lost. Cosgrove and Hall were then hired by Thames Television on the back of their work, on particularly on Rainbow, but in other children's TV programmes. And Cosgrove Hall Studios was born, a brand which was to dominate children's television productions for ITV for the next three decades. The heady days of the likes of Danger Mouse, The Wind in the Willows and Count Duckula were still to come in the 80s and 90s. But their first production for the new studio was a real classic. And also... Completely bonkers. Jump in, we'll take you for a spinner, show you round the wheelie world. Hop on, it's fun to come along and take a look at wheelie world. You'll be surprised the good it feels. Just zoom around all day, you'll feel so merrily. Oh, whoopee. You don't need a ticket, but we'll take you on for free. And if you see no bridge for Nella, don't be worried, for there's no cause for alarm. <laughs> We've got shoulders who's the dragon, he will keep you free from harm. <laughs> it's fun at any time of year. So put your wheel in second gear and then hold tight. All right, we'll show you all the sights of Wheelie World. I do wonder what happened. Perhaps Cosgrove and Hall were sitting around in the ITV canteen when in walked Brian Truman who, at the time, read our local news in the Northwest on the nightly regional programme, Granada Reports. Cosgrove, or, or perhaps Hall, asked Brian, Brian, have you got any good ideas for a children's TV show? To which Brian replies, well, actually, Mr Cosgrove, uh, or Mr Hall, I do. It's a show about a happiness dragon called Chalton, who lives with a race of people called the Wheelies, who, wait for it, have wheels. Like it so far, says Cosgrove, or Hall, or both of them, probably. And, well, says Brian, the land is terrified by an evil witch who has a strong Welsh accent, and her name's Fenella. She lives in a giant kettle, and in every episode, Chalton helps the wheelies 
defeat whatever Fenella's evil plot is. Cosgrave and Hall look at each other, and one of them, Cosgrave or Hall, says, Brian, that's brilliant. Let's make 40 episodes over three series. It'll be a smash hit. And, well, it was. The whole thing was mad, but also very silly, which meant that children loved it. Chalton, our hero, was a rather dim but well-meaning happiness dragon, as we've said, who was sort of along the lines of Bernard Breslau in many of the carry-on films, and the wheelies were a collection of eccentric, wheel-based semi-humans. As always on this podcast, when you hear me describing a programme, you do question how it was ever made and how it became so successful. But that was the skill of Cosgrove and Hall, supported by the soon-to-be-ex-Grenard Reports newsreader, Brian Truman. They really understood what children wanted and gave it to them, which was exactly how their next show worked. I used to love Jamie and the Magic Torch, and I think the opening sequence explains why. How many kids would not like to have a magic device, which, after your parents think you've gone to sleep, can be used to open a passageway from your bedroom to a fantastic secret world of adventures accessed via a giant helter-skelter? Oh, and your dog could come too, and in this alternate world, which was called Cuckoo Land, your dog could talk. How brilliant was all of that? Once again, Brian Truman was the author, and this time he was the narrator too. Looking back, I think the show was influenced by The Magic Ball, but also by the Beatles' Yellow Submarine film. Cuckoo Land was inhabited by a range of odd characters like Mr Boo, who flew around in a flying submarine, Officer Gotcha, a policeman who went round on a wheel, and, well, perhaps that's a Chawton and the Wheelies reference, and um, a Glaswegian cat whose name I can't quite remember, and an enormous rabbit, amongst others. Well, like many of these things, you really have to either remember it or watch it for any of this to make sense. Like so many of shows, Jamie and his dog, who was called Wordsworth, spent 10 minutes getting into trouble, and then out of trouble towards a happy ending, and then having them go home via a large trampoline, I didn't mention the trampoline earlier, did I? Never mind. Um, they get back home and into bed just as Mum opens the bedroom door and throws words without back to his kennel or wherever dogs were supposed to live in the 1970s. And that was it. Another simple premise delivered with great style and panache by the Cosgrove Hall team. I think I'll be singing Jamie and the Magic Torch theme tune for the rest of the week now. As I mentioned earlier, This was only the start for Cosgrove Hall animations. Their best years were still to come, with hits like Danger Mouse, The Wind in the Willows, Alias the Jester, which was another slightly odd one, 
Count Ducula, and they were even responsible for Bob the Builder. Unfortunately, though, they did block their copybook because they actually made another version of Noddy in the 1990s, but I think everyone's allowed at least one dud in their career. Do you remember Jamie and the Magic Torch? Or perhaps you actually did love Noddy? Let me know on our blog at www.my70stvchildhood.com. Tweet at 70s TV Childhood. Post on our Facebook page at my70stvchildhood. Or you can email me direct, oliver at my70stvchildhood.com. Well, that's all for now. So look after yourselves and join me again soon for more from my 70s TV childhood. <laughs>